Hello and welcome to Odds and Evenings, a podcast about mathematics, puzzles, numbers and games. My name is Alex. Uh, I am one of the two hosts of the podcast Odds and Evenings. Uh, with me is the second one. What's your name? My name's Alaric. Good, Good evening, Alex. Hello. Good evening. You are uh, freshly voiced. I know. You're getting a slightly huskier me um, mm. this evening. It's normally uh, me, to be fair. So you're doing a... This is... This is I feel this is perfect uh, symmetry. So you can track when I've gone back to school based on how husky my voice is. I've been back for a couple of days now, and I've been talking at students um, quite a lot after having six weeks where I didn't really talk to many people. This is what my voice does every every going back. And is, is it because the students have new illnesses, or because you're just not used to talking? Uh, it, no, it's, I'm not used to talking. But uh, I've got a day to go until the weekend, then I can relax. And then your voice will... Well, yeah, pick up again. Yep. I'm I'm like that with um, woodwind instruments. I used to play the clarinet for a long time, and then uh, and then I didn't play the clarinet, and then I tried to play the clarinet again, and I just did not have the lung capacity for it. It's amazing. The body is amazing. How's that um, flute treating you? Oh, so last night there was a power cut, and everything in my house is electric, including like my oven and uh, everything that I that is not books. So I tried to learn the flute, and within about an hour, 45 minutes, I learned to assemble the flute, uh, I learned the f- to where to put the, the fingers on the flute, and I, I learned a, a kind of bad rendition of Greensleeves. Um, there's a lot to, that you can pick up if you already know the, the clarinet. The hardest thing is actually getting it to make a noise, but once I worked that out, um, this, a lot of the fingering was the same as, as, as the clarinet, kind of. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, maths? Yeah, let's do it. So, you know, at the start of a new relationship, when you introduce someone to Dominion? Uh, yes, the natural, that, that natural stage, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Dominion is a card game, which, um, fitting onto the theme of not being able to get onto the internet with your power cut, Alex and I, at university, there was a weekend where we knew we were going to be without internet, and we invested in the game Dominion. It's a, a card game. And we spent basically the whole weekend playing it. And you don't need to know the details of, of the game. But it suggests an interesting probability question I've been thinking about. Okay. Um, so to randomise the game, to make it always a different game, you're always using 10 cards out of the possible 25. Yes. Uh, that means the first time you play, you're playing with 10 completely new cards that you've never seen before. Mm-hmm. The next time you play... You're still playing with 10 cards, but it might be some of them you've seen before. It might be that you, um, three of the cards you've already seen, and you're using seven new cards, say. Yeah. My question is, on average, how many games of Dominion does it take for you to see all 25 cards? 10. That's my guess. Okay. Yeah, uh-huh. you're, you're planting a flag in... This is my hypothesis 10, because the probability that a card is picked is 10 out of 25. Okay. Each game, that card has a 10 out of... Oh, uh, hold on. Okay, so each game, a particular card has a 10 out of 25 chance of being picked. And that's true. You have 25 samples of this. Yep. This keeps happening until it gets picked, which kind of implies that 25 over 10, like you invert it. But I don't know why. I'm just going off like old neuron paths that I can't fully okay. explain. Yeah. What we're trying to find here is like the last card. So when you're 
playing your first few, you're probably going to see the same cards over and over again. You're only going to be introducing a few extra cards that are new to you each time. Yep. After the first couple of games. Usually what's going to happen is you're going to have one or two cards which take a long time to come down. It's like you're trying to find when that last one falls. On average, yeah. The probability... Okay, so, there's definitely... What's the, the discrete version of a Poisson distribution? Is that is that the binomial distribution? There's a bit of binomial stuff going on. And they all kind of approximate each other, yeah. But, you know, Poisson and, and normal are in continuous time, and this is in discrete time, so it has to be binomial, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there are other discrete things out there as well. Yeah. So, an easier version of this problem is called the coupon collecting problem. Yep. Imagine you're like, you're buying cereal boxes. There's ones for kids, which have toys in them. Yep. And let's say there's six toys to collect. Yep. And you really want to get your collection, so you're urging your parents to go and buy you that expensive cereal. Most of the time, you're going to get, say, four or five of them quite quickly. And you're going to keep buying those extra boxes to try and complete your collection. People have a, a natural kind of want to complete collections. Mm-hmm. Uh, which makes this a really successful like marketing strategy. Yep. The difference between that and the problem we're dealing with is we're getting a collection of ten each time, where within that collection of ten, you're guaranteed that all ten are distinct from each other. Sure, yep. It's the same if you're buying, like, um, packs of stickers or packs of, like, Pokemon cards or something. Yep. You're, you're kind of guaranteed that you don't have repeats within one pack. The coupon collector problem is, like, nice and well-defined, and it has, like, nice answers to it. And that will give us a kind of bound to this thing. But it would be an upper bound, because we know we don't have distincts, so that will make it fewer games than the coupon collecting thing would suggest. But I feel like the duplicate version yep. is a more complex perturbation on the non-duplicate version. Only because yes. I still have this thing in my head of, you know when you open the box up and there's all 25 cards in there? Yeah. Um, I still have this thing in my head. I'm imagining each one, one by one, for any particular card, how many games on average until it's picked. Given that there's a 10, a fixed, every single time, 10 out of 25 probability of it being picked. Let's say you've got a jack-in-the-box and you, and there's a button. And every time you press the button, there's a two-fifths chance the jack-in-the-box will pop. Okay. How many times do you have to press the button before it pops? So, the probability that it pops on the first try is two-fifths. Yeah. The probability that it pops on the second try is three-fifths times two-fifths, so Q times P. And then the probability that it pops on the third try is... So, okay, all right, I know what, it's, it's, it's two-fifths two. Two over one minus three-fifths, because it's an infinite, infinite, infinite thing. Okay. Right? Because you, so it's, it's, it's a, it's a geometric series, where you start with two-fifths, and then each okay. time the ratio is three-fifths. I'm realising I'm delving quite quickly into stats that I can't really remember here. Um, I was thinking of it as a probability density function, where the probability is two-fifths, I think we're trying to find the area under it, and it's it's like the probability doesn't change. It's like a rectangle, and you're trying to find how long that rectangle is. So to get an area of one, then the length of it has to be five over two. Yeah, I think I might just be making no, no, stats. no, 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 that's it, that's it. Okay. Yeah, yes. So it's the reciprocal. It's five over two. It is five. So that that's where I got that two and a half earlier. Okay. So okay. For, so for any one particular card, yep. On average, it's five over two. Yep. So two and a half games. But there's 25 of them. But what we're asking about is what, what happens to the worst one. Yes, what happens to the worst one? Yeah, we need a distribution, right? Like a proper real distribution with a standard deviation and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. 
a big boy distribution <laughs> for real statisticians. It's probably worth noting. I know what the actual formula here is. Like it's one I've looked up in the past. It's um, it was only solved relatively recently. What? What by? It was solved in the 1990s by a statistician called Wolfgang Stadia. Oh. German mathematician. Well, it was, is that because nobody had thought of the problem, or, or, or because it's non-trivial in interesting ways? I don't know. The coupon collecting problem is definitely a famous one, which people have solved all over the place. Yeah. I don't know enough about the kind of zeitgeist of stats to know whether this is uh, something that people were working on for a long time, or whether it was, oh, we need to solve this, and it was solved immediately. Yeah. Um, I, I just thought it was sort of an interesting thing to think about. So if you go back to the coupon collecting one where there's no guarantee that you're getting distinct in your 10, then the coupon collecting problem, like, you can literally just look up each number. So for 25 cards, um, as it is in Dominion, then it takes on average 96 cards that you've looked at, which is, like, 9.6 games. So on average 10 games, but that's an upper bound. That's if you might get duplicates. If you might get duplicates. Yep. Right, and so we know it's faster. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So you can assign probabilities to each of the number of times that it takes to, to get them. You know, each card. So one is two-fifths. The next one is PQ. The next one is PQQ. And so okay, on. you're doing a geometric series. Yeah, well, I'm not adding them this time because I realized last time that was just the reason <laughs> that that added up to one. For those of you who are playing along with the formulas at home after I announced them and then I didn't say what the value was, uh, the, the, the sum to infinity of that geometric series was one as it should be because okay. you will, yeah. it will, does get picked eventually and it's like you're taking 25 rolls of those die to get a number and then mm. what's the highest of those numbers going to be I, I think the problem here is they're all kind of linked yeah actually you can't do that because they because you can't have 15 of them pop off yeah they're not on independent the first attempt. yeah they're dependent on each other can I show you a formula and then maybe we can think about why it's true Hit me. <laughs> yeah? Yeah? So, do you want to describe the monstrosity you're looking at? Well, it looks wrong to start with, because it's something from 0 to 25, when it should be something from 1 to 25. But... I, I, I think the 0 is right. Okay. Well, let me, uh, let me try and say what we have here. So, we have a, a summation, and the variable is J. And this is summation from j equals 0 to, to j equals 25. Yep. There are three, um, I guess you call them factors. Yep. Um, there are three things being multiplied together. We have a... Uh, now, that's, a, that's funny. So it's minus 1 to the power of j. But I know there's a symbol in physics that you use for that instead. You're not happy with a minus one to the power of j. No, no. There's a uh, there's there's something else. There's um. It's not it's not the delta with the j. It might there's some kind of anyway. Whatever. Minus one to the power of yep. j. So each of the terms is going to flip its sign as we go along. So if it's odd, it's negative, and if it's even, it's positive. Yep. Uh, and then the next factor is twenty-five. Choose j. Yep. Kind of standard combinatoric stuff. Yeah. And then we have all to the power of eight. Uh, I'll explain the eight in a minute. 25 minus j choose 10, divided by 25 choose 10. All of that to the power of 8. Now, I've sent Alex a link in Wolfram Alpha. I'll put this link in the show notes as well. What I did to try and work out the expected number of games here is that power of 8 is how many games you've played. 
I've tried putting in different numbers, so 0, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, etc. When I got to 8, the number that Wolfram Alpha evaluated for me was, this is the first one which is over 0 0.5. This is the first one where the, um, the probability that it happens is more than half. Right. So I was numerically trying to work out what the expected value here was by finding the first one which happened more likely than not. Right. So if you try changing the 8... So the number that came out is 0.64. So 64% of the time, if you've played 8 games, you will have met all the cuts. Ah, okay. So if you try changing it to a 7... 0.46. Yeah, so it's just under a half. So with 7 games, you will have not quite... It's more likely than not that you won't have seen all the cuts. Just about. Can you not sum... Oh, I didn't understand my query. But anyway, so if you wanted to find the mean, what you would do is you would, you would, you, you would put another summation around it, and you would multiply each of those summations by... So, for, so you know when you have that one with the 8 in... You would do eight times that probability. Okay. And then you would sum from one times the probability with a one in it. Ah, because it's discrete. Yeah, and so so that's how you do a mean, right? It's uh, NP, essentially. Or the probability, it's, it's like an expectation. It's, it's, but you gotta, you got to add them all up. And then you have to divide by the probability itself. Yeah, that's it. Hmm. Do, do, you know, do you know what I'm getting at? So if you wanted to find the on average, you take that that you have, that probability, and you multiply it by... The thing, and then, okay. you, and then and then you you find the mean yeah. that way. Yeah. Wow, I really need to go back over my stats. There's probably a bunch yeah, of people I'm absolutely well. cringing at this because <laughs> this is this is just just terrible, absolutely awful. Severe apologies to the listeners at home. How bad this is. Um, but that's but that's good. Uh, I, why is it zero to twenty five though? What happens when you evaluate the zero in that? So minus one to the power of zero is one. 25 choose 0 is 1. What are those other ones? Uh, 25 choose 10 over 25 choose 10 is 1. So it just gives you an initial 1. And the first term is 1. And I think you're taking away stuff from that. It's like a 1 minus thing. Yeah. But it just it's just the extra 1. Yeah. 25 minus j over 10 is 25 over 10. So then you've got two things that are the same over each other. So that's 1. And then the 1 is to the power of 8 and so on. Yeah. Yeah. So ways you could use this formula... Um, firstly, if you wanted it, instead of um, the expected number of games until you've seen them all, you could ask questions like, how many games do I need to have played so I'm 90% sure I've seen all the cards? Mm. I'm 99% sure. In answering the original question, it takes 8 games of Dominion to, on average, you have seen all the cards. To be 90% sure, you have to have played 11 games. And to be 99% sure, you have to have played... 16 games hmm. so it's it keeps growing like the, the more sure you want to be the number of games it just keeps like creeping yep. up quite quickly yeah but it's an asymptote yeah yeah um other questions you could ask if you were a collector of say magic the gathering or that sort of thing and you were wondering like well when have i played collected the whole set and you could add in things like um rarities some yeah. cards occur more than once yeah. The same formula can be used to kind of break those open. Yes, things like Magic the Gathering, but that aren't Magic the Gathering because they have collector's numbers on the bottom of them. Yep. Yeah. Hey, I've got, I've got a good uh, thing for the coupon one. So in Super Smash Bros. Melee, 
if you want to unlock Marth, I think it's Marth, you have to play with each of the starting characters in a versus match. Okay. And so if, if you're playing multiple uh, four-player versus matches, yeah, beating each other up, I think there's... How many starting characters are there? Sort of like 15 or something? And that's if you are clicking random each time. Yeah, as, as, as assuming they're clicking random. There'll be big perturbations, though, because you might have a few two-person matches, or you might do, you know, everyone is Bowser or something at the start. Yeah. So I, I wonder how many how many versus matches, without knowing about that unlock, how many versus matches people play Yeah. Uh, yeah. For, before a challenger approaches. There's too much human in that, but there is an idealized version of it where it's just the coupon problem with... I think the big human thing there is people want to try out the shiny new characters. So they try ones they haven't done before. I do that when we're playing. Yeah. Just I just do a grand cycle of all the characters, basically. And then back to my main. Start with my main, couple of matches with the main, start dotting around, back to the main again. And then if everybody's doing that with random mains, how quickly, but random ones they go to, and they don't care who, who anybody else is playing as. You're right, there's too much human here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting... Inhuman problem. Assuming a random starting point. Ah, oh, ha ha. Okay. All right. All right. Now this. Now this is interesting. It's the. Uh, it's a multi-agent traveling salesperson problem. So <laughs> you've got four salesmen, uh, but they don't know which which the other salesmen are doing, which cities they're hitting up. How long is it before all four salesmen have hit every city? Assuming they're doing a big loop. I think I'm going to add you claiming something is the traveling salesman problem to the odds and evenings drinking game. Yeah, because travelling salesmen, they don't have to do a loop, do they? What's the one where you do a loop? Uh, Finding a Hamiltonian cycle. Yes. Assuming that these Hamiltonian cycles are playing out at the same time, and there's like four of them... Yeah, I see what you're going for. How long before these random Hamiltonian cycles cover every node? And that's the same problem as four Super Smash Bros. players choosing whichever character they like the look of at the beginning, and then picking random characters they haven't already played from then on in. Until yep. Martha appears, yeah, which I think is is, is uh... oh, I say interesting, but what I mean is unanswered. <laughs> <laughs> is it? Is there any value to this at all? Hmm. I think it's all variations in that formula, and I feel good having that in my back pocket. I guess a more slightly more real world analogy would be: there's a series of villages, uh, each of them are full of pagans, and there's four different religions priests that go out and they they they, they convert the villagers and, okay. and when they convert a village they become resistant to new religions and so if the if the priest goes there then they get rebuffed rejected i see um, they don't yeah. get killed but they just you know they don't they don't get to convert it how long before there were no pagans left assuming the priests don't know which of the other places they're going to yeah it's all independent yeah no knowledge yeah lots of questions very yep. few answers <laughs> That's our new tagline. <laughs> uh, so recently, I took a trip to Prague. Prague is very nice. It's a nice place to go, especially if you like uh, alcohol. Okay. Prague has relatively cheap alcohol compared to London. In London, a pint will cost you about £5, maybe £4.50 in a pub. What's that in um, Freedom Units? In dollary dues, that is about six dollars, six and a half. Oh, I don't know. Cooling. Exchange rate's one point two five-ish, I think, at the moment. Yeah, six and a half. Six and a half. 
In Prague, the most common cost for a drink that you'll see is either about 59 or 69 crowns in the sort of touristy areas. Okay. It doesn't really matter about the exchange rate because this is maths, not real world. It's about 28 and a half crowns to a pound. So your drinks are going to cost you about £1.50 to £2 for a pint. Okay. It's nice. It's inexpensive. It's a nice place to go for, 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 for a Londoner who likes to drink. It's the Weatherspoons of Europe. It's the Weatherspoons of Europe. You know, it's set up in a place with very nice architecture and the alcohol's cheap. Now, when you're in, in Prague, you'll be walking around and I was judging the expense of a place by the price of a pint of Pilsner. Okay. It's a type of beer, which they have a lot there. Uh, it's their main sort of type. And um, you'll see all these different places, all these different places, different prices. So one place might have a pint of Pilsner for 79 crowns. One place might have a price of Pilsner for 49 crowns. One place might have a price of Pilsner for 59 crowns. And I guess the question is, when you're walking around and you want to have a nice drink with a few of your chums, how do you know when to stop walking to a different tavern. Let's say the goal is to find the cheapest beer you can find. How do you know when to go, all right, let's pick this one? So your goal isn't just to get the cheapest beer. It's to get the cheapest beer within a reasonable time. I think so. I think, or reasonable uh, I, I, I think we are starting to build the model already. So evidently, you don't want to walk to every single tavern in the entirety of Prague to find the cheapest place and then stop Which there. is the idea if you didn't have that limit on it. If your only goal was to find which has the cheapest pint, then you would have to go to the mall. You would have to go to the mall, yeah. Assuming they don't change their prices in the time it takes <laughs> you to do that. Yeah. So if you were doing the same thing on the scale of the world, then that would be an unending task. Very difficult. On the scale of Prague, mm, there's a lot of taverns, i tell you what. <laughs> there's a lot. You might be able to do it. So you're faced with an unknown probability distribution. You've got a vague sense of what it is. This is probably just a utility minimization. How much more frustrated should you get with each successive one? And let's assume that you can't backtrack. So you just yeah. you go on and, and, and you pick the next one. Okay, so this is a fairly famous problem. Okay. It's called the secretary problem. Okay. The idea being that you've, um, you're hiring for the role of a secretary. Mm-hmm. And when you interview them, you either hire them straight away or you reject them and they're not going to be able to come back. You're not going to be able to uh, reclaim ones that you've already sent away. Okay. Each one you assign some sort of a numerical value to in terms of how good they are. And um, let's say there are N of them waiting in the queue. The question is, when do you hire? How many of them do you look at before settling? It's mm. famous because it has such a nice solution. Okay. And so um, how, how, do, how do you approach the creation of that solution? So the idea is you have to stop somewhere. Yep. And when you stop you're going to pick the next candidate which is better than the best one you've seen so far. So when you stop is uh, the big decision. If you stop too early, you won't have seen many candidates and so you probably wouldn't have seen a particularly good one. And so the next better one than that won't be that much better. If you stop too late, you'll have seen lots of them so you'll have seen a really good candidate but the remaining better candidate might not be in the pool anymore there might not be one better than that right so you just go on forever yeah well yeah, there's the a finite number yeah. there's, um, there's only any of them so the trick is to find the sweet spot between those two things mm. this is usually done with dynamic programming but 
it always comes down to the same fraction of n. So, that fraction is 1 over e. What? I know, right? <laughs> um, so, say if um, there are 100 applicants, yeah. then you look at the first 100 over e of them, Yeah. which, which is the 37th. So you evaluate this 30, the first 37, you, you find the next best one that was better than any of them in the remaining 63. But this mm-hmm. 1 over e is invariant. So if you had a million candidates, you're still looking at the um, the first million over e of them. What if you don't know how many there are? Well, this is the problem. So if you apply to something like uh, relationships. Yeah. If you're in a relationship, yeah. uh, when is it best to cut that off? Because you think maybe there's a better one. Well, the problem here is you don't know how many potential relationships there are going to be in your future. Yeah. What you can do is estimate based on past experience. Yeah. But I, I think it gets a bit uh, grisly if you look at the numbers too much in this one. Uh, past performance is not indicative of future results, Alaric. As any, uh, as any uh, <laughs> gambling advert or stocks and stocks and shares advert in the UK can uh, advocate. Especially with the ravages of time. <laughs> uh, so your pubs yes. in Prague, Yes. it's similar to the um, finding a relationship thing. Because you're, you don't know how long to go on for. You don't know how many pubs there are. Yeah. Well, you don't know how many your group is willing to see before they shout at you for just getting a pub, Alex. Yeah. So probably what you need to do then is you need to say, we're going to walk for 20 minutes to find the next place. After 1 over E of that, yep. which is about 8 minutes. Yep, 7.4-ish. That's our stopping. And then the next best one we see that was better than any of the ones we saw in that time period is where we're going to stop. Yeah. That's quite, that is that, that's, a good, that's a good heuristic? Yeah. Yeah. The sentiment was that uh, we would float between uh, taverns with about a 10-minute walk between each, but ended up being a bit longer than 10 each time. And then let's not even factor in the fact some places do steins. How many litres is a stein? One. Okay. They don't do pints, per se. They do half litres. Okay, so... <clears throat> hello to those of you who do not uh, live in the UK. A pint is 568 milliliters, right? Uh, yeah, so American pints and British pints are different. American pints are 16 fluid ounces, and yeah. British pints are 24 fluid ounces, right? Uh, they're 20. 20 fluid ounces, okay. <laughs> Sorry, we tried to convert between three different systems. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's, uh, there's uh, metric, uh, American, and imperial. Or are we the weird ones? We're the weird ones, aren't we? Uh, everyone over the metric is the weird ones, Alex. Yeah, but there's two different flavours of weird. <laughs> it probably doesn't matter. No. So anyway, this whole section's getting cut. So who cares? <laughs> who cares? Honestly. Yep. Yeah, they drink They drink 500 millilitres. Big whoop. Want to fight about it? They they don't even pull them out properly anyway. Because they're all printed on pint glasses, but... They've got a line there. They just draw a different line on the side that shows 500 instead of instead of 568. So what happens is they just pour it sloppily into the glass and approximate hitting that line with a bunch of head, which is awful when you don't want to drink through. But it's good beer though. Tasty good. The angel problem. Ah. Yeah, I can't match that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I'll be the devil in this. So, The Angel Problem is by John Conway. Connors. Yeah. The way of the con. Gliderman. Gliderman. It's a game he invented. It's kind of a mathematical problem. The idea 
is that there are two competing players. Yep. Uh, an angel and a devil. Okay. Uh, they're on an infinite grid of squares. Match. Which is a very Conway sort of thing to do. Conway place to be, yeah. Yep. The angel starts off in one of the squares, and the devil is just going to dot around all over the place. What do you mean? Uh, it's, it's not really anywhere. Okay. I'll explain in a minute. All right. Um, the angel, every turn, uh, to start off with, we're going to have a power one angel, which means it can move one space in any direction, like a chess king. So diagonal counts? Yeah. Okay. So you can go to any of the eight spaces around it. Okay. Uh, it does a move, then the devil places a wall. They can place a wall on any square that the angel isn't in. Mm. Um, that wall will never be able to be moved. Then the angel moves, then the devil places another wall, and it carries on like that. Yeah. The question is, can the devil surround the angel? Like, so it won't be able to move? Or will the angel always be able to kind of move around in the infinite space? I'm thinking about really, really extreme versions. So the devil is a million squares in the other direction. The the devil can place the square wherever it wants. Yeah, I know. It's not moving around to um, place the walls. Okay. But nonetheless, the angel's running in one direction. Let's just say this is the, the, the angel's strategy, right? Yep. Just sprint in one direction. So let's say it's going north. Yeah. Can't really see where the devil is. And then there comes a point when all of a sudden it's met with an enormous wall because the whole time it's been sprinting in that direction the devil has been developing like a yep. sort of Jordan's lemma on the outside of the uh, of infinity a giant wall that surrounds now if the devil knows which direction the angel's going in it could start doing that in such a way that the angel would then have to start sort of racing it around the circle and it would be completely trapped yep and so I kind of think yeah probably but there's probably a much better way of doing it <laughs> That intuition is right. And the power one angel can't win. Mm. Like, if you um, do a wall sufficiently far out for the devil, yeah. y- you you cover a kind of enough width there. Can I make a... Can can I make, at this point, can, can I make a, a prediction? Yep. A power six angel can't do it, but a power seven can. Because it's something to do with the ratio of a circumference to a radius. Uh, that's incorrect. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so how can, what about two? Yeah, so think about two. Th- this is a problem proposed in the 70s, but it was uh, solved relatively recently by four independent teams in the same year, oh, which weird. was 2006. Did they, not, did they not read each other's papers? Is it because it's so expensive? Is it Elsevier's fault? Is it Springer's fault? Carry on. I, d- I don't know what those mean. Yeah, those, okay, don't worry. Th- those, okay. those will know, will know. Carry on. <laughs> Um, I, I don't know why. Um, but let, let's think about some of the um, some of the things along the way here. Let's say that one heuristic that an angel could follow is it always moved away lo- from kind of locally placed walls. If it sees a big collection of walls nearby, it's going to move away from them. Mm. If you're programming up a kind of a basic strategy for an angel, yep. can you think as a devil, if you knew that the angel was programmed like that, how you would defeat it? The angel's heuristic is move away from local walls, and I think by that it probably means um, take the uh, four different possible bisections of the space yep. and pick the direction that is contained within the four halves of those bisections that have the least uh, number of walls in, in its pair, if that makes sense. So, if Prioritising ones which are close. 
maybe prioritizing ones which are close because it's sort of one over r squared discounting fact or something. Yeah, because if you think of it as kind of like um, if the angel was looking around at how much of an angle those take up in its peripheral vision. Oh, yeah, that's a good way of doing it, yeah. How would you defeat that angel? Oh, you would dot on either side of infinity in a big circle around it, or, or relatively far away. You would go out, at, like the top, you northest, southest, north to the north a little bit, because because the angel would keep like vibrating. Okay. Keep trying to go uh, up you, and down. You trap. I've trapped it by its own rules by going up, down, down, up, up, down, down, up, up, down, down. I think that may well work. Yeah. Yeah. Another way that people proposed it losing. Imagine you built a massive, like, C-shape thing in the west, and then you kept putting little dots close, just on the east side of the angel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like you spend as long as you want building a big trap yeah. on the west, and then you, like, just chase at its heels, you're um, shooting it, making it dance, Yeah. and um, you pop it in the trap. This is the big problem um, in analysing this problem. It's not clear what the angel strategy is. So that makes it not clear what the devil should try and do to, to defeat it. Yeah. Um, this is why it's taken so long to get a grip on this problem. For ages, it was unsolved. Is it solved now? Uh, yeah. Uh, there are some like variations which are unsolved, and obviously you can take it into like multiple dimensions and things. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah, three D, and three D is still unsolved. Three D um, is unsolved, right? Okay. Yeah. Okay, uh, here's another 2D problem that you can kind of think of going along the, on the build-up to it. Imagine um, the angel never heads south. So it's never going to go southwest, south, or southeast. Mm, the skiing angel. Y- yeah, it's always skiing north. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Downhill. Yeah. It can go, like, west if it wants. Sure. It can go east. Sure. Um, now, on this one, the devil also has a winning strategy. Don't put anything in the where it's not going. It's a bit like it's bound by a large triangle. It's like going in quarter of the plane. Oh, I suppose it can go west or east, can't it? Yeah. It's a, it's a semi-plane. Yeah. I think you can easily stop it going like directly west or directly east by just like a couple of clicks. But by considering it as like... An, let's ignore the west and east thing in a minute. Okay. Kind of, uh, for a minute. Imagine it, it, it is just going northwest, northeast or north. Then it would be a quarter quarter plane. Yeah. By considering it as a large triangle... Yes. You can draw a line which goes enough along that triangle sufficiently high up that you will have covered enough of it which is close. You won't be able to do the whole width when it gets up to there, but you'll be able to do the width which is near. Ah, the width it's near. And And then if you fail, you can just try again. Both this one and the heuristic where you built the large C... Both of them, um, the devil still wins, no matter the power of the angel. Like, no matter how high the power of the angel, you can just do it sufficiently far out that you can still win. Right. Yeah. Because you know exactly where it's going to move to. And so you basically, if the angel's power is two, then you can just get rid of all of the uh, squares that it would never tread on. Yep. So, does the power of the angel actually matter at all? Or does it just turn turn the area into uh, concentric uh, uh, squares around its starting position. Can it move uh, up to that le- length? Let me define the power a bit better here. Yeah. Power, say, two angel, is anywhere that a king can move in at most two spaces. It's allowed to jump over the ones in the middle. 
No, so powered... it's, it's the jumping that I'm concerned about. So can it move? So can a power two angel move one space north? That's what I'm asking. Yes. If it couldn't, if it could only move two, imagine power two, but it can only move two north, two west, two east, two south, two northwest. Yeah. Two, yeah. So there are there are sort of nine spaces in a in a five by five grid that you can that you can exist in. The, the place you already are, the eight you could go, and then there's the extra. Uh, 14 that are that are blacked out that you, you actually you can't you physically can't tread on because you, you can't get there and so if you get rid of all the ones that are blacked out and then just re-collapse the space back down push all the white ones together you're back where you started it's a uh, power one angel again yeah does, that, does that work <laughs> can, can, sorry that's that's probably that's probably if I, I had this fully visualized in, in my head but it's probably kind of hard to explain so okay so so it can move up to two and so you can't just, yes. it, as the devil, you can't just go, okay, so they're not going to go on those squares or those squares or those squares or those squares. Let me build the big wall here. On the other ones, no. Right. In the year 2006, um, four teams made breakthroughs on this. Yep. Two of them proved that you could do it with a power four angel. They could always escape. And in the same year, with a different set of proofs, two teams came up with a power two angel proof. Hmm. That it could always get away. There are a couple of different proofs here, but here's one I kind of understand. Or at least I understand the steps of. They proved that if an angel could win against what they defined as a nice devil, then it could also win against the normal devil. And they defined a nice devil as one that never put a wall on a square where the angel had ever been. Hmm. So, like... Once an angel had been somewhere, it's like it's colouring, it's painting all the tiles behind it, say yellow, and um, the devil is never going to place a wall on one of those. I don't know how their proof worked, that if you can win against the nice devil, then you can win against the devil, but I'm willing to accept it. The second half of their proof was, the angel imagines that, say, all of the spaces to the south of it are blocked off already, it's never going to go there, and... Every time the devil places a block, the angel is going to treat it like it's a maze. Like you're putting your right hand on the wall and you're following it round. And you can't build a maze good enough in enough time. You, no, there is always just enough wiggle room for it to escape. Ah, <laughs> because uh, it can move two. Yeah, if it can yep. move one, you can end up in a sort of Tron situation where you have the two bikes going along next to each other. But I guess if it can move two, then... Yeah. yeah, and what's nice about this is unlike all the others, it actually gives a heuristic for the angel to follow. Like it's a constructive sort of proof. Yes, it's, it tells uh, it to do. It's uh, devil agnostic. Like it doesn't matter what the what the devil's trying to attempt. It can always yeah. it can always get yeah. out of it. Yeah. The other two power angel proof is another angel strategy. Okay, so maybe that's just how these things work then. But it was more complicated, and it had even more hand waving than I did in the first one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But the three-dimensional proof hasn't come yet. And there are all sorts of, like, variations of putting up walls or having, like, devils that can place more than one wall or that sort of thing. There's still fertile ground. You'd think they'd uh, solve the, like, the real case before doing all these variants. It's like you're trying to beat a video game and, and you're like, oh, okay, let me just try and beat the uh, the easier version backwards upside down with my head in a knot before I try and beat the hard mode like just just 
solve the actual problem. Stop trying to make up all these side things because it's fun. A lot of these are on the way to solving the main problem. Oh, okay. Like stepping stone, slight simplifications and so on. Yep. Yeah. What happens if Angel does this? What happens if Devil does this? Yeah. With the hopes that if you come up with a, uh, a like a suboptimal solution that way, that you can reach optimality with some kind of small uh, word of the day perturbation, which I've said so many times this episode for some reason. You know, with with some kind of change in one enemy that you can just adapt the strategy in in a, in a kind of understandable way. What about multiplayer? Well, two angels. Yeah, or like you get one angel, they get one angel trying to cross to the other side you get a devil they get a devil (laughs) yeah the devils are like the bludgers and you can't block yourself off but you have to block them off just makes me really want to play some Tron game you know that these classic mathematicians often put prizes for these problems oh yeah Conway offered a hundred dollar prize if uh, there was a winning strategy for an angel of sufficiently high power but if someone could prove it the other way if the devil would could always win, and there was a proof of that. It was a thousand dollar prize. Oh. Uh, but so far, it's been twelve years. Neither of the teams that came up with a two power one that they haven't agreed who gets the hundred dollars yet. What? Can't they just split it? I'm not sure if it's antagonistic. Okay. Hundred dollars is not that much. All right. You, maybe they should play uh... <laughs> a game with <laughs> Angel Devil. Yeah. <laughs> Devil, Devil, Angel, Angel <laughs> against each other. See who gets it. It could be good tournaments for that kind of thing. You know, in situations where it's like, well, we don't know. You could make Angel AI and Devil AI and get them to play against each other. I have the perfect costume. So you do. Have you? You've never dressed up as the Devil for anything. No. No. You you might be able to be the Devil from um, that Rick and Morty episode. I think these Angel wings might be useful for Lucifer. The TV show uh, costumes yeah, in the you, future. Yeah, you made a framework. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Halloween's coming up. Halloween is coming up. Spook season is upon us. All right, feedback. Yeah, what is that? So Christian Lawson, perfect of a periodical, tweeted at us in relation to the code pad problem that we did last episode. Oh yeah. So that's where we were trying to type in numbers into a keypad, where we tried all of the combinations without having to repeat digits. And we tried it with some smaller number of digits. Um, He tweeted at us uh, a couple of videos, uh, but one was by James Grime of Numberphile. Sure. um, Who has solved this problem in the past. I'll put a link in the show notes. It's about 10 minutes long, the video. It's really good. But I'll, I'll do a quick summing up of, like, how to apply the method. All right. We were doing it with four-digit keypads. Yes. Like numbers. Let's say we were trying to find a code which was three digits long, and each of the digits was either one, two, or three, because that's the one we tried in the last episode. Yeah. So we know there are 27 possible combinations. Sure. The method for finding this sequence that would take us through them all is this. You take the number which in this case is three, like the number of digits. Yeah. You find all of the factors of that. Which is three. So one or three. One or three, yeah. Those are the strings which we care about. 
so we're not going to care about the strings which are only too long. If you were doing this with four digit keypads, you'd care about one, two, and four. You wouldn't care about three. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Okay, then you list all the strings in order. So in the same order you would find them in, say, like a dictionary. Yeah. So the string would go one, which is just the, the one digit thing. Yeah. One, 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 two, one, one, three, etc. Yeah. You wouldn't do one, two because that's any string which is too long. But then you go one, two, one, then one, two, two, and so on. You keep writing out all those strings. Then we're going to eliminate some of them. Mm. There are two rules for elimination. Firstly, if your string is made up of smaller things repeated, so for instance, one, one, one is the repetition of just one. Sure. You get rid of it. Yeah. You'd also get rid of two, 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 and three, three, three. Yeah. Then you're also going to eliminate ones which are rotationally symmetrical to previous strings. So once you've done one one two as one of your strings, you're going to get rid of one two one and two one one. They're just rotations of it. Yes, uh, cyclic permutations they're called. It's like when we're doing um those Scrabble primes, back like episode eight or nine. Yeah, yeah. What you have left, if you concatenate it all together. Is your sequence prioritizing the start, earlier ones? The earlier ones, right? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good, and it works. Yeah, that's pretty good. I've manually tried it for the free. The four gets quite long. Yeah, it works. Why? They're called <laughs> de Brown sequences. De Bruyne. Brown is spelled yeah. B R U I J N. Yes, that's it. That's what they're called, eh? De Bruyne sequences. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I wonder why they work. I don't know. <laughs> oh, but the Wikipedia is very nice. Some nice little graphs of uh, De Bruyne graphs. Hey, that's what I was kind of thinking at the start, you know, when we talked about this. There's lots of mention of Hamiltonian paths and Eulerian paths and things. Mm. So we were talking in the right language. Yeah, we nearly got there. Oh, yo, you can tell it's getting hardcore on Wikipedia when they start doing things in uh, pseudocode. Oh, it's Python, sorry. <laughs> Python is pseudocode. <laughs> This is my kind of thing, when it starts bordering on computer stuff, even though I haven't done any computer science. I like when it starts to, to touch on that. I think it's, uh, we go away and look at it a bit more. It's really interesting. Yeah. I'm gonna, gonna add it to my arsenal of, along with grey code, like, transversing digits. The earliest example of a De Bruyne sequence comes from Sanskrit prosody. Hmm. Some kind of, uh, religious thing. From back in the day. Interesting. There we go. Amazing. Uh, any other feedback? Uh, no, that's it this week. If you have anything that you'd like to say to us, oddsandevenings.com, probably forward slash contact, but there's definitely a button you can click on that says contact, uh, or, or Twitter. We'll go through this all at the end, don't worry. There's a big end section where we do contact. It's fine. And it's coming up uh, right about now. Okay, so thank you for coming along. Uh, on the show. For those of you who are new, one of the things we do at the end here is we go through each of the things that we talked about and we discussed how satisfied we were with the... Um, well, it used to be kind of like with our performance, but lately it's just be kind of become with the conversation. But uh, what, did we, what did we start with? The Dominion probability thing. So it's the coupon problem. Oh, yeah. But the coupon problem, but not. Yeah. Coupon problem, but you knew you didn't have repeats. Yes. So the coupon problem... The coupon problem. Um, <laughs> how 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 do you how do you feel that went? Um, 
7, we got lost in some basic probability at the beginning. But I think we hit our stride when we um, started talking about applications of that formula. I liked when we talked about Super Smash Bros. Melee. If I was in the marketing division of, say, well, many things. Anything where you're using people's uh, want to collect things and to have complete sets against them. So, like, lots of children's toys, for example. Bionicles and things. I would be paying very close attention to that formula. And which variables to... Yeah. Mm. Which ones can you subtly change, which means they have to buy 50 more things. <laughs> right, yeah. Because <laughs> you increase the number of items by one. Or you decrease the uh, you decrease the, the number of things you get per pack by one. And that yeah. probably, yeah, really quite wildly changes it. I'm still going to give it a relatively low score, though, because it is laid bare for uh, our entire three-digit audience. Uh, just how bad we are at stats. I mean, how bad I am, and uh, and then and then you will improve though. That's the thing, and and I won't because <laughs> you'll probably te- <laughs> you'll probably teach te- teach a stats module one year, and then uh, and then all of a sudden you'll have yeah, to uh, we'll come back relearn it. Whereas I'm stuck forever, um, watching the uh, the iceberg drift further and further away. Whereas you've got a small motorboat. Um. <laughs> So, three or four? Three? That was okay. emba- It was embarrassing. Uh, I'm not satisfied because it was embarrassing. So, three. Cool. The next thing we talked about was viewers in Prague. Uh, yep. Pretty good, right? Yeah. I mean, any time where, from such a natural problem, you get E, but not in something where it feels like an exponential would be natural. It's not even like e to the power of anything. It's just e coming up as a number. Well, yeah. Well, so e in the same way you see pi. E is the limit of something, right? Uh, yeah. So like, open brackets one plus one over n and close brackets to the n. Yeah, one plus one over n to the n. yeah yeah. So it's probably something to do with that. Yeah, and like e, you kind of expect when there's a self symmetry here. Yeah. L- yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like how every single next attempt at the pub is, is actually a sort of identical, you're back to yeah. the beginning of the problem again, kind of thing. Yeah. If there was an infinite number of them, then your situation after having gone to a pub compared with your situation right at the beginning, it's basically the same. Yeah. It's all just kind of scaled. It's something to do with that. Yeah. So that so it was satisfying in that regard. It was yeah. satisfying. And, and by the end of it, came up with a pretty good heuristic for how to find a, a satisfyingly cheap Pub experience. Yep. Um, slash give it love. Slash love. Slash uh, used car. Uh, I'm going to call it an eight. Yeah. Cool. Eight. Nice. Isn't it weird that I gave the number first? That never happens. Um, <laughs> and then what did we talk about at the end? The angel problem from Conway. Yeah. What a nice little game. What a nice little problem. I like that a lot. Did, did you like it a lot? <laughs> It's one of those ones, like many of Conway's problems, where it's not really a game. It's a maths problem. Mm. Um, I like the idea of the nice devil proof, but it requires two leaps of faith, neither of which I understand. What if you're shaped like Snakey? If you're the devil just placed walls shaped like Snakey. If the devil, yeah, plays snakey, or what if you're trying to, what if you're trying to move the sofa through, uh, 
in continuous space, but the devil can play squares in discrete space. Uh, just to explain here, because I may well get a whole lot of new students listening to my podcast. Oh, sorry. Because over the next year, uh, over the next week, I'm going to have a whole lot of new classes. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, you are listening to 19 episodes in. Some in-jokes have started to occur. Um, <laughs> go back to the beginning. Go back. You've got 18 hours worth of listening. <laughs> uh, which episode is Snakey in and which episode is the... So the moving sofa problem was last time. Nope. Nope. Time before last. So, Moving Sofa was episode 15. Yep. Snakey's. Snakey was episode 8. Snakey's episode 8. Go back to listen to those episodes if you want to get those sweet references. Moving on. We'll give it a number. Five. Five. Okay. I liked it more than that. Seven. Good. Well, thank you everybody for coming along to this uh, episode of Odds and Evenings, recorded in the evening. Um, I thought that was pretty good. That was pretty good. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I'm tired. Yeah. Uh, Unused to a working day. Let's just tell people how they can get in contact with us, shall we? So you can hit us up at oddsandevenings.com. Uh, maybe forward slash contact. Who knows? Definitely a button you can click, though. Uh, and there's a contact form. Fill that in. It'll reach the inbox that we look at. Um, or you can email us directly at oddsevenings at gmail.com. You're not going to remember that. It's on the website. Uh, there's a Twitter at Odds and Evenings. You can reach us directly there. There is a Reddit, reddit.com forward slash r forward slash Odds and Evenings, where you can uh, put posts, comment, shout at us, whatever, whatever people on Reddit do. Uh, you can reach me directly at twitter.com uh, forward slash speakmouthwords. That's speakmouthwords. And you can reach Alaric wherever uh, good waistcoats are sold. <laughs> that's about it thank you very much for coming Alaric's going to sleep I am going yep. to I uh, don't know probably sleep as well because it is the evening Alton Evenings signing out goodbye night night Lots and evenings. Lots of questions. That's it. <laughs> <laughs>